Pele leaned in and said something to Freddie. Don't let them change you. Keep working on what makes you different and what makes you special. It was great advice, but it caused me some problems. But what could change Freddie do? Soccer is going to explode and it's going to be around this kid. We were the Beatles. Everywhere we went, it was the Freddie show. And with that came the expectation and with that came the pressure. New episodes of American Prodigy dropped Tuesdays from Blue Wire Podcasts. Blue Wire. With the first pick in the 2009 NFL Draft, the Detroit Lions select Matthew Stafford. Quarterback. Stafford, step it up. Going left side. Watch Calvin. Enzo got him. Oh, baby, that was a rocket. And it's picked off. Intercepted by Darius Slade. Welcome to another episode of The Michael Rothstein Show. This episode is brought to you by Indeed, Bet Online, and Pepsi. Pepsi's back as one of our sponsors, so go and check them out. And the Lions obviously lost to the Green Bay Packers 31 24 in a game that frankly was a lot more competitive than I anticipated it being. Without a doubt, I thought that this was going to be Aaron Rodgers and the Packers offense completely shredding the Lions. I did not think the Lions would be able to keep up. And listen, the Lions defense did not play well on Sunday. There's no question about that. They didn't pressure Aaron Rodgers. They couldn't cover receivers. They couldn't cover tight ends. They couldn't cover running backs. They just couldn't tackle very well this was a group missing two of their top three corners and by the end they had Mike Ford playing outside corner and Mike Ford actually had a really nice pass breakup in the end zone but still you don't want Mike Ford playing significant snaps at outside corner for you it's just not something you really want their linebackers haven't been good all season, still can't cover anybody, and Jelani Tavai really struggled whenever he was matched up against Robert Tunyon. The defensive line was dealt a pretty big blow when Everson Griffin went on the COVID list on Saturday, and between no Griffin and no Trey Flowers, that left Romeo Aquara basically kind of stuck as the only guy you could get any sort of pass rush, and the Packers paid a lot of attention to that and a lot of attention to him so defensively it was rough but before we get into anything specific about the Lions 31-24 loss to Green Bay the big news obviously is Matthew Stafford Matthew Stafford getting hurt in the fourth quarter against the Packers it looked like he had just started kind of a slide and Kenny Clark was perhaps still already starting in his motion to tackle him. It was absolutely close, I'll be honest, when I watched it live. It looked like Kenny Clark's hit was not dirty by any stretch of the imagination. It looked like it was a clean hit, and that timing was just perfect, frankly. And it was almost at the same time where then I watched it a few times in slow motion, and... Looked like maybe Stafford started to slide before Clark, definitely before Clark 
hit him, but before Clark maybe started that movement. But we're talking about less than a millisecond or a couple milliseconds that the naked eye couldn't see. So I have no problem with them not calling Kenny Clark for any sort of penalty against Matthew Stafford on that play. But Kenny Clark's a big guy. He hit Stafford in a way that really folded him up, as the announcers mentioned as well. What wasn't mentioned, and it wasn't entirely clear, was whether Will Redmond's leg also made contact with Stafford. Because if you look at it in real time, it definitely looked like it did. If you look at it in slow motion, it might have. And that looked also right where Stafford was grabbing when he got up in that left midsection area. So I do wonder whether it was like the combination of the two or whether maybe it was even Redmond's leg or if it was Kenny Clark that forced Stafford to have a rib injury. You can see he was grimacing on the sidelines. You could tell from watching him up above that he was throwing very gingerly and it was not going well. And he did not come back in the game. And this obviously leaves a lot of questions about Matthew Stafford's immediate future. There is no doubt about that because the Lions have three games left in the season. They are 5-8. and eight. The best they can do is 500. Their playoff chances are essentially infinitesimal, it feels like, at this point, if they even exist at all. And if you are Detroit, you have to decide whether or not you want Matthew Stafford out there, whether you want to rest him, because again, it goes to, well, what exactly is wrong? What's the injury? We don't know that as of yet, as of recording this at 11.15 on Sunday night. We don't know exactly what's up. Daryl Bevel said he would address it more on Monday. The Stafford was getting x-rays on Sunday. And we'll see what they say. Because here's the thing when it comes to Stafford. Do you want him out there in a spot where he could possibly risk further injury to himself? If you were the Lions at this point, that answer should be no. And it should be no for a multitude of reasons. One, you want to protect the player. Two, if your new head coach and new general manager, whoever that may be, wants to move on from Stafford, potentially offseason, you don't want to put him in a position where he suffers potentially a more serious injury. Three, if you want him back, same reason as number two. So the reasons to play Stafford the rest of the way would pretty much, to me, come down to him actually not being all that hurt. But I've never seen Matthew Stafford come out of a game where there wasn't some sort of real injury concern or it was something to his hand and and having that looked at there. Like, that, to me, is when you see Matthew Stafford come out of a game. He's incredibly tough. No one questions that. I mean, heck, this guy was trying to come back and play last year with a pretty, you know, beat up back, a broken back. Like, like that's what he was doing. So that should tell you how difficult this is. And when you heard players talk about Matthew Stafford after the game, they all talked about how tough he is and that they know that if he didn't play, what that really could have meant from a pain perspective. And you could even see it on his face when I was briefly perusing the TV copy after the game of how much it did hurt him. He did not talk to the media after the game, which is very rare for Matthew Stafford, even in games where he has suffered injuries. Like I remember specifically that Minnesota game 
a few years back up in Minnesota where he was just pummeled and he had to have x-rays and he was beat up completely. I forget exactly what the injury was in that game, but he could barely talk and, and walking was definitely painful for him. And he still went up and spoke to the media after the game. So that to me says that he's definitely at least in a good amount of pain or just the timing with the x-rays, but it definitely raised an eyebrow to me for sure. And going beyond that, even just listening to the way some of the players were talking about him and, you know, kind of hoping for the best. I did ask TJ Hawkinson what it would mean to the Lions if Stafford could not play and they had to roll with Chase Daniel. Here is what TJ Hawkinson said to me after the game. And I don't think it says anything or tells anything one way or another just because of the question that was asked. But here was his answer when he talked about TJ when TJ Hawkinson talked about Matthew Stafford if he couldn't play and what that would mean for the offense. Quote, it's hard to say Chase is a great quarterback as well, a good backup. When Stafford, he said nine is in there, you always know that you're in it and you always know that you're ready to go. So he's our leader. He's our captain. Guys all look up to him. Obviously not having your captain, not having a guy like that is tough, but we all just need to move on and get some chemistry with Chase and just keep rolling and try to keep going and keep fighting. So not a ton in there, but the fact that, you know, he acknowledges that A, it would be tough and that they have to build chemistry with Chase Daniel, to me says that at least someone's considering what might happen if Matthew Stafford doesn't play. Chase Daniel was asked about this and Chase Daniel said, I have no idea if I'm going to be starting against Tennessee or not. At the very least, you have to figure Matthew Stafford's going to be somewhat limited this week in practice. He's already been limited with a right-hand injury. So he's starting to get beat up again. And if you're the Lions, that's another thing to take into consideration. If you're Matthew Stafford, as much as you may want to play, that's something else to also take into consideration because you're getting into your early to mid-30s now. Your body doesn't recover exactly as quickly as it did when you were younger, as good of shape as Matthew Stafford may be in. So all of these things are things to consider, but who knows? Maybe it's just a bruise that you know really kind of took a you know, took a lot out of them, and we've seen that, and you've seen that from players before, and you can obviously hope for that for sure because you never want to see a guy hurt, and you never want to see a guy like Stafford, if for some reason this ends up being it for him this year, go out like that uh, on an injury. You just you just don't want to see it. Stafford, I thought, played well otherwise, and – you know, the injury is through no fault. The injury is him trying to get extra yards, trying to fight for a first down, trying to claw and get a comeback, which is something that we've seen so often from him in his career. And I thought otherwise he played well. You know, he had 203 or 206 yards in the first half, threw a touchdown pass, like made smart decisions, was not helped out by some drops by some receivers, was not helped out by maybe one questionable call on a, insane Marvin Jones catch not catch which we'll get into after the break and you know he threw maybe a couple of passes that were poor including one to Jones early in 
the second half, I believe it was early in the second half, that he just missed him. And it was just a wide open. It, Jones had a step, and he just missed him. And, but that happens. I thought Stafford played well, and I thought he was gutsy, as he usually is, and gave the Lions a chance to win despite a really rough defense and a team that still doesn't have Kenny Galladay, a team that has Mar- has Marvin Jones and has DeAndre Swift back, but was also missing their right tackle, and Terrell Crosby and Matt Nelson really struggled. Odea Boucher, I thought, really struggled. Not sure why he's still playing over, say, Joe Dahl. Um, but a lot of that has to do with Stafford. A lot of that they were in the game at all has to do with Stafford. So that's going to be something to monitor all week. That's obviously the biggest thing that comes out of this game. And we'll be back after the break with getting into a little bit more about the Lions' loss to the Packers on Sunday at Ford Field. Stick with me. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over, much to the happiness of probably everybody. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. That's right, no long-term contracts. And now Indeed's new New way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job seekers in the U.S. visiting Indeed each month, according to Comscore, total visits. So it's clear Indeed can help you get the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast, faster than even Matt Prater's 59-yard field goal went through the uprights. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment or overbearing sports parents, fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. And if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are one of them. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how much you watch. And let's be honest, if you're watching the Lions right now, you probably need something to get you through what you've been seeing on the field. And Pepsi is that refreshment you need to power through any game day, even Lions games. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football. Hello, welcome back. Thanks for sticking with us. And we're going to get a little bit more into the game itself. 
And honestly, it was a game, like I said at the top, that was surprised the Lions ended up even being in. And some of that had to do with a couple of Green Bay penalties. A lot of that had to do with the Lions making smart decisions. And I thought the Lions played really, really hard. I really did. I was impressed with how hard they played for Daryl Bevel. I was impressed with their fight under Daryl Bevel. And I thought they did, frankly, everything they could. I thought this was a good effort from a Lions team that, especially on defense, is just beat up, just doesn't necessarily have enough to compete with the high-level offenses in the back end, at the line, certainly at linebacker. If anything, I think you saw today the level of rebuild and the level of change that's going to be necessary by whoever takes over as the head coach and general manager to this defense because there's just not enough speed there. There's not enough good coverage players there. There's not enough good pass rushers. Now, granted, some of them potentially are on injured reserve or COVID-19 list. And Jeff Okuda is on injured reserve. And Trey Flowers is hurt and on injured reserve. And Everson Griffin is on the COVID-19 list. But that's the thing, too, is that even when you look at this defense, some of their better defensive players are free agents, and the Lions are going to have to make tough decisions there. Like, what do you do with Romeo Aquara? And we've talked about this a little bit on the podcast before. Everson Griffin's a free agent. What do you do with him? I don't. You definitely aren't going to be able to sign both. Do you maybe sign one? And to me, that should be Aquara because of his age and his ascendancy versus Griffin, who's at his prime. At and if he is at his prime, still, it's more the tail end of it uh, than anything else. And at linebacker, they they need speed. They just can't get speed on the field. Your arguably speediest linebacker is probably Jalen Rees-Maben. He just doesn't really get an opportunity to play all that much. Jelani Tavaz, just, he's going to have to be in the right system. Jared Davis, probably in his last three or so games now with the franchise, uh, especially with Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn being gone and them being so enamored with him from a leadership perspective and he's a really good leader but on the field you just know that he's not really giving you what you hope he might christian jones is kind of just a guy and then you look at the secondary and deron Harmon's had a fine season but it hasn't always gone well tracy walker has admittedly had some pro issues and problems when it's come to his on-field play this season will harris they keep going with and J. Ron Curse has probably been one of their more pleasant surprises on defense but he's only one guy and you still don't really totally know where to put him is he a safety is a linebacker but he's better than a lot of the linebackers that the Lions currently have even though he's a safety so and that's yet another problem on defense so this was, team was never gonna really do well with the injuries that they have and that's the thing when you look at these last three games that's doesn't bode well because next week they play Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry might just bowl right over the middle of this defensive line that's really struggled. And if linebackers don't take the right read on him, he's going to roll over them too. Tampa Bay, we'll see. Of the three, that game feels like, frankly, it might be the most winnable, but who's covering their multitude of receiving options? 
seriously, who who's who's doing that? Because I don't think the Lions have the cornerback horses uh, and even the safety horses to do that at this point. And then they play Minnesota, and they haven't beaten Minnesota in years. And Minnesota, especially if they're having something to play for, has Justin Jefferson, and how do you handle him, and Adam Thielen, and how do you handle him. And then even if you do take away the two of them, then they still have to deal with Dalvin Cook, and they still haven't been able to really stop the run. So it doesn't look good for Daryl Bevel and the Lions here the rest of the way. However, all of that said, they are playing hard, and they – they played hard and were competitive against arguably the NFC's top team, maybe the NFC's top seed. A couple plays really did change the tenor of the game. All of them happened in the second half. The first one I want to point out, and I know that fans have really been vocal about this. I've heard about it on Twitter all afternoon into the evening. I came home, and before I record this podcast, I wanted to make sure to at least try and watch this play over again, which is the Amani Awarie defensive holding. I did not see anything. However, and I'm going to throw a big however caveat at you, they didn't show the whole play. They didn't show the whole route. So if Awarie got tangled up with him, knocked him down, whatever, or you know tried to, interfere with him before the ball was thrown, which is what was called. It didn't show up on the TV copy. But that said, we don't see the whole route on TV copy. And they didn't go back and show it at any point at any sort of wide angle. It was tight angles. And you saw the very beginning of the route. And then you saw the end of the route. And you saw, you know, Valdez Scantling throwing up his hands a little bit. But I don't think that that was what was getting called there. So that was one play that changed the game because that was a third down. The Lions would have forced a three and out on the first possession of the second half, and I think that would have given them a lot of confidence in a tie game. The second play that I think was controversial, but again, I understand where the officials were coming from potentially on it, was Marvin Jones' amazing catch. And this catch was sick. Like, this catch was just an unbelievable football play. It shows how good Marvin Jones is in tight windows. Like this was a contested catch that I only think maybe a handful of receivers in the NFL are going to make. And sure, it won't count as a catch because uh, he was ruled out of bounds. And on review, he was also ruled out of bounds. But it was really, really, really close and frankly, it looked like to me he was in. I've seen slow-mo pictures where it shows both of his feet appearing to be down. Now, of course, we don't know exactly the uh, ball situation at that point, whether he bobbled it a little bit. Marvin Jones said he did not, said that he caught the ball. Both of his feet were down. He believes it was He believed it was a catch. He said that he's actually mic'd up and heard a couple of refs say some, something similar to him. However, we won't really know. Uh, and I'd be curious to see that again, again, maybe from a different angle. The angles they showed on television, many of them looked like he was in. It looked like he was in when you saw it on TV. Not live, because live it was so fast that it was really tough to say. But once they even did the first and second slow motion replay, it became clear that it looked like it was a catch. They even did that in Ford Field. They you know, rewind it back and forth a little bit before Daryl Bevel 
appeared to throw his challenge flag. So it looked like it was a good challenge, and that would have changed a whole lot, like we were talking about in the first part of the podcast, because that happened in the fourth quarter. It happened on the same drive that Matthew Stafford got hurt on. So if that play happens, the Lions are at the one, or maybe they're even in the end zone. You know, Because it was never ruled a catch, there was never any signal on that. So that might have altered everything else, and Matthew Stafford maybe doesn't get hurt uh, starting a slide on a third down to try and extend the drive to make sure they get a touchdown. Instead, frankly, at the one-yard line, they're probably giving the ball either to Adrian Peterson or to Kerryon Johnson to try and score a touchdown instead if they're on the one, if that catch comes back. And they also get a couple more minutes on the clock when they cut the game to one possession. So, like, all of those things are positives for the Lions if that catch is ruled differently. But it was not, and I can understand it where maybe it's a really tough thing to overturn from an official's perspective. I can understand it. I'm not saying I agree with it, but I can understand it that if you really didn't feel like you saw clear evidence that both feet touched while he had control of the ball, then... I understand why you wouldn't overturn and whatever it was called on the field would stand. But that that one was a blow to me, to the Lions. And of the calls that I know that fans are kind of annoyed about, the one that where they may have a legitimate gripe. I can't talk about the Awarie thing because it just they didn't show the whole route on that. You know, the TV announcer sounded surprised, but sometimes, and I can speak on this from sitting in the press box, even though they're not in that box, they're in a different area, that sometimes you don't necessarily see a flag on the field right away, or maybe your spotters don't see it on the field right away. And I'd be curious to kind of know that. Um, I, I know people are out there, I know fans are out there who are super mad at the refs, and I feel like the refs are out to get them. Like, on that drive, Again, that happens so early in the drive. The Lions still have many opportunities to stop Green Bay instead of letting them drive for half a quarter. And the Packers had two holding penalties. Yes, they were on first downs, but they started first 20 in two separate instances there, and the Lions couldn't stop them there either. It's very similar to me to how fans get annoyed in the Dallas situation. I think there was more of a gripe there with the Dallas situation, but there was still so much game left that the Lions could have won or lost that game or come back in that game. Any sort of situation so many different times in so many different ways. But, you know, the refs are the easy way out there on a call that in the Dallas case was clearly blown. And in this case, a judgment call maybe was not was made or was not made correctly. But to me, it's a 50-50 shot on that. So I totally understand it. And... Yeah, listen, those things changed the course of games. There's no question about that. And I know some fans were a little annoyed that pass interference wasn't thrown on Stafford's Hail Mary at the end of the first half. I That literally happened right in my eyesight directly from where I sit at Ford Field. And I can tell you, I did not think that that was pass interference at all. Uh, I really didn't. At some point, the defender has to have some sort of like say to his own space and it did not appear like he was interfered with. He was not standing in front of Quintez Cephas from like a blocking the ball from being able to be caught by him. Like the Anthony Hitchens play from a few years ago. Like I've seen slow-mo pictures where 
people are looking at it like that. To me, that was a different, a different way that it was covered. Like, I get why, I understand why fans would be annoyed, especially when you're talking about, you know, the Packers and Hail Marys and all that, considering the history. But I just didn't see it. I just really didn't see it uh, to where a ref would be able to throw it on that type of, of play. Like, on a Hail Mary type situation, to me, if you're going to throw something that's pass interference, like, there has to be real contact, and it almost, to me, has to be really blatant. Because so much of that ends up being, you know, multiple guys in one area. And we've seen it over and over and over again. So those are obviously some of the big calls. DeAndre Swift returned. I thought he looked okay. Obviously, they were trying to work him in, I think, at least a little bit slowly. uh, Particularly maybe in the first half. Let him get his feet under him again. And he did that. And he looked fine to me throughout the majority of the game. And I think that you'll probably see more of him going forward throughout the rest of the season. And frankly, at this point, you should because you want to get him reps. So, like, it's funny because I covered boxing on Saturday night. And if you don't know who Edgar Belonga is, uh, you're missing out because he's a really electric fighter who's in all 16 of his pro fights has had 16 first round knockouts. So like this is becoming a thing. And when I spoke with him late on Saturday night and he had even said it on the telecast as well. But when I talked with him, we talked about how he just needs rounds at this point, like just needs rounds. He needs experience. He needs reps and in boxing rounds really equals reps. And to me, that's what you need to get DeAndre Swift over these last three weeks as well is just get him reps. He caught four of his five targets for 26 yards, including one nice screen. He led the Lions with seven carries, only had 24 yards rushing. His longest rush was five yards. He did have a touchdown, but he only gained 3.4 yards per carry. Now, that's better than Adrian Peterson, who had four carries for seven yards. Or on Johnson, who had two carries for three yards, but one of those was a touchdown. So DeAndre Swift still got more carries than any of his other backmates. But there was clearly more of a split than probably you would hope to see going forward. Now, I anticipate they'll give Adrian Peterson some work here the rest of the way as he continues to try and set marks or move up different ladders. I, I mean, you just kind of feel like that's going to always be part of the offense. But I think you'll see DeAndre Swift get even as long as he got through today's game or Sunday's game healthy. I think you'll see him get a lot more work against the Titans because I always feel like Daryl Bevel was always going to try and play it at least a little bit slow with DeAndre Swift. He basically said and hinted as much. This offense could really use Kenny Galladay to come back. We'll see where that stands next week. But I. You know, I thought you got a good performance out of TJ Hawkinson, six catches for 43 yards and a touchdown on a team high 11 targets. I thought Hawkinson played hard. Yeah, he had a drop, maybe two drops throughout the game. Marvin Jones, this is what he would do in the second half of the year. He's obviously heading into a contract situation. Eight targets, four catches for 48 yards. Obviously, that number would have been a lot higher had that catch not gotten overturned or had that catch non-catch been called a catch so 
that's how quick his day was to being back-to-back really strong days for the Lions. And I think he's been quite good, frankly, the entirety of the second half of the season, really since Kenny Galladay went out. And that's important as, you know, this might be his final three days, three games as a Lions player. And that's the other thing to think about, kind of circling it back to the top, is how many of these guys might be, this might be it. This might You might only get them twice more at home, once more on the road the rest of the way. Even a guy like Jamal Agnew. Jamal Agnew, their electric returner, who had a 71-yard kick return to try and maybe sort of keep them in the game and is transitioning to wide receiver and is starting to maybe get used in a bunch of different ways. He's entering. This is a contract year for him. Danny Amendola, he had six catches for 66 yards on seven targets. And I know I've been hard on him and critical on him in this space before, saying the Lions needed to give some of his work to Agnew, and I still truly believe that, but he is somebody that Matthew Stafford is comfortable with. He has a safety blanket for him, and he does continue to make plays. I actually thought he was going to break his uh, no-touchdown streak there against the Packers because it looked like he was about to get in at one point, did not get in. I think he was out at the one or the two-yard line, but I thought that that was going to be it for him. And then there was another one where he had the, caught the ball in the red zone and it looked like he was maybe going to cut across the field. thought that might have gotten him in, but he has not scored since his, I believe it was his first game or his second game with the Lions. Hasn't scored a touchdown this year, even though he's been a very productive receiver. Uh, that's something that, to me right now, is still worth watching. We talked a little bit about Peterson before. He passed, the, he passed by one, and this happened early on. He passed LaDainian Tomlinson for... Sixth place on the all-time NFL career carries list. So, like I said, there were some good things from the offense. thought Stafford played well. The left side of the line held up okay, although they did give up a sack. Uh, but it looked like Green Bay really overloaded that side on the blitz, and the Lions just didn't have enough people over there. The right side of the line, though, was really rough. Ude Abouche, I'm not sure why they stick with him at this point at guard. Not that I think Joe Dahl is a massive improvement, but I think personally, from what I've seen from both players, Joe Dahl is, to me, the better player. Uh, I know some people have asked about Logan Stenberg. You're not throwing him in this late with no action, uh, especially if Stafford plays but has injuries. Like, you're just not doing that at this point. Like, this is a redshirt year, to use college parlance, for Logan Stenberg. That's, I think, always what this was going to be. And it's really come to fruition that way. Now, I would be curious to see if they give Joe Dahl another look because I always felt like Joe Dahl, when he was in the game, was an average to above-average offensive lineman. He could play multiple positions. Like, he's played on the left and played on the right. So if you want to leave Jonah Jackson at left guard, and I understand why you would want to because you like that, that three-set right there. To me, that's... One of the future building blocks of this team is that left side of the line between Ragnow, Jackson, and Decker. So I'd want, I understand why you'd want to leave that. But they have some issues on the offensive line, too. And then, you know, we'll get into this in the next couple of weeks, like what their situations look like on offense and defense going forward. Defensively, however, and we talked about it a little bit earlier, but you look at the numbers and they just aren't pretty for the Lions. Daryl Roberts, who started started at corner but left the game with a hip injury making their secondary and their corner position specifically even thinner and that's going to be an injury to watch because if they don't have him then 
you know, maybe they have to move Jamal Agnew back to defense, or maybe they're bringing up a corner, or maybe you're moving a safety over to play corner, which they looked like they were doing Will Harris a little bit. So that's a bit concerning. Roberts led the Lions with seven tackles, had a pass defense. Warrior had five tackles and a pass defense. I thought he calmed down a lot after a really rough first quarter. I mean, Devontae Adams just completely, completely outplayed him on his early touchdown in the first quarter. And and that was a pretty low point for Awarie. And they, Aaron Rodgers looked like he was really picking on him early in the game before he started to go away from him. But you look at it otherwise, and they had one quarterback hit, and it came from Austin Bryant, who has, you know, started to show up a little bit more. And that's something that if you're the Lions, you're happy to see. But only four passes defensed, one from Ford that came in the end zone, which we talked about earlier, one from Jimmy Collins, which was a tip, and one from Awarie, and one from Roberts. Your linebackers just aren't really giving you a ton except for Jamie Collins. But Jamie Collins, as we've talked about all year, very inconsistent as a player. But other than that, Jelani Tavai is only giving you three tackles. Christian Jones only giving you three tackles. Jared Davis giving you two tackles. And and that's not aggressive for linebackers. And it's not a good sign, even though Curse kind of plays more of a hybrid role. It's not a good sign when three of your top four tacklers are all in the secondary or some form of fashion and really four of your top six if you include Tracy Walker and in that are all in your secondary that's not good um, I liked what Braden Combs drew up with the onside kick at the end it was creative the Lions almost got it it looked like frankly it looked like the Lions just were not aggressive enough too where they could have jumped on it but I don't know if it was at the 10 yard line 10 yard rule at that point either which would have obviously turned it into a penalty so maybe they were trying to avoid that but it looked really close and it was both a good challenge well it wasn't Daryl Bevel's challenge but it was a good review by the booth and uh, it would have been a really big game changer for the Lions would have been curious to see how they handled Matthew Stafford then and you know, that that could also tell you exactly how hurt Matthew Stafford really, really, really is. So that's kind of what happened in the game. Other than that, the offense was a little bit conservative at times. Daryl Bevel ran another flea flicker. This one did not go well at all. It basically forced Stafford to just spike it after he got the ball back from Adrian Peterson because nothing was open. Daryl Bevel loves his flea flickers. Now, we didn't always see them when Matt Patricia was coaching, but whenever it would be a Week 17, or in this year's case, Thanksgiving game, which was for Patricia a Week 17, like you basically have seen more trickeration, more trickery. I really liked the, the shovel pass that they ran for TJ Hawkinson's touchdown. That was a really well-designed, well-crafted play. And you see that more often than not from Daryl Bevel. I thought he did a good job as the coordinator. I thought he did a good job as the head coach. I thought Corey Udlin did what he could with a group that's just really, really beat up. And like I said, Braden Combs continues to be a pretty aggressive and, and pretty smart special teams coordinator. So that, to me, is what happened. Obviously, the Lions now... Losing their eighth game of the year, clinched their third non-winning season in a row. The last time they had a winning season was 2017, which was Jim Caldwell's last season. Daryl Bevel no longer an undefeated interim coach, as he is now 1-1. One and one. 
heading to Tennessee on Sunday. And other than that, I mean, that's just kind of where the Lions are right now. They're in the home stretch of this season with the knowledge of big change coming. And we'll get into those big changes of what could be and what couldn't be this week a little bit with hopefully at least one of my guests, if not multiple guests. And then again in the last couple of weeks of the regular season as well as we head into the offseason. So I want to thank y'all for listening. As always, I really appreciate it. You can follow me on Twitter, on Instagram, at Mike Rothstein. Think about maybe giving us a five-star review on Apple or on Google Play if you happen to listen to the podcast in those spaces. We would greatly appreciate it. And with that, we will talk with you tomorrow. And football, as we have seen, is very much back in full swing. And you might not be at a game this year. Only 500 or so people can be in Lions games over the last couple of home games. But you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use that promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word, BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts.